Well, my friends, in the Bible, wisdom is the skill to live well, to live well in God's world that God's created. Uh, the wise walk through life acknowledging the reality that it is God who governs all things and not themselves. And one of the reasons why we admire David so much in these stories that we're looking at is that he walks with wisdom. Um, he's a wise young man. He's, he has such, such wisdom in the face of such incredible challenges, you know, like Goliath and Saul, uh, betrayal and suffering, but he's wise. In the Bible, foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Uh, fo- folly, being foolish, is it's kind of like walking against the grain of the universe itself uh, that, that God's woven into his creation. Uh, folly is trying to live life like God doesn't matter, but, but you do. Or it's, or it's acting like God isn't powerful to govern all things and govern your life. You know, but, but you, of course, are. And so, you know, in other words, that the heart of folly is, you know, what the Bible calls sin. But David, wise young David, uh, in him, nevertheless, we, we see the truth that it's possible for him, for us as Christians, to be faithful and to be wise in all the big things of our life. You know, like, I trust in God for my eternal salvation. That, that's the peak of wisdom, right? That's the way to live right and well in God's world eternally. So you can be wise in the big things, but then with that one particular thing or that one particular person or that one particular situation, still be foolish. Chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, which uh, Val read some of that before, uh, it tells us of a time when David, wise young King David, was tempted into terrible foolishness. Uh, But more importantly, uh, this story reminds us that listening to God's wisdom, even if you're already walking down the path of folly, that listening to God's wisdom, it restrains foolishness and it brings blessing. So at this point in the story, uh, David and his 600 fighting men and their wives and their children, uh, they're hiding out in the wilderness of Paran, uh, Paran's down south in the Judean hill country. Um, it's quite striking country. It's, it's grasslands. Uh, there's a few forests, uh, you know, rolling hills, a couple of uh, rocky mountains. Uh, it's pretty dry in the summer, but the rest of the year it's green. It, it's maybe a little bit like in uh, northwest Victoria, um, the Wimmera, you know, our, our, our pastoral lands out there, you know, but, but hillier, not as flat. And it's the kind of place, this wilderness prime, that's perfect for raising cattle, livestock, sheep, goats. And, um, you know, well, that sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? But what you've got to understand that in ancient Israel, in the ancient world generally, the, the wilderness, you know, it's not just serene and quiet and peaceful. It's also very dangerous. Uh, there's a lot of dangerous animals, but, but more so in the ancient world, the wilderness is kind of like the high crime area. It's the place you don't go at night by yourself. Uh, there's, there's bandits who, who prey on travellers. And um, enemy nations send war bands just to sneak into the wilderness and, you know, go raiding. And, you know, we've seen some of that in David's story. 
Also, though, the other thing you've got to understand is that, of course, ancient Israel is an agricultural economy. So although it's a high crime area, the wilderness um, is also a chief source of wealth. Um, and in particular, raising livestock in the wilderness is a chief source of wealth. You know, the livestock create meat, uh, wool, leather, milk, yogurt, cheese. It's, it's the linchpin of food and clothing and equipment. Um, and why I'm telling you all this is I just want you to grasp the point that being a shepherd in the wilderness of Judah is both a very important and profitable and dangerous occupation. It's dangerous work. Um, on the other hand, if, if you want to, get, uh, want to get rich quick in ancient Israel, you, know, you, don't, you don't run a mobile phone texting scam like we're being plagued with at the moment. What you do is you gather three or four mates and you go off into the wilderness where no one knows you and you find some shepherds and you, you, know, you scare them off or kill them and then you rustle the sheep back to your own flock. That's how you get rich quick. Anyway, as God continues to grow David into the king that... God wants him to be one day during these wilderness years. Uh, remember, he's got his little army of 600 men, and you know, they're a ragtag bunch of debtors and refugees and discontents. But, but David is continuing to form them into basically a band of good Samaritans. And at this point in the story, they're starting to become, in southern Judah, sort of like a cross between the neighborhood watch the SES, and, and maybe the unofficial police force. And, and recently, David and his men have been protecting the local pastoralists in the wilderness of Paran. They've been, they've been looking out for them, protecting them from bandits, that sort of thing. Uh, and they've been doing that for many people, but in particular, they've been doing it for one very rich man who has vast flocks of sheep and goats, uh, a man named Nabu. Uh, and the bull had a great reputation, uh, but it wasn't a good one. Uh, the Bible tells us that he was a harsh and badly behaved man. Can you, can you think of anyone else in the Bible that's described as a badly behaved man? Uh, and so this Nabul, uh, I think it'd be fair to say that he wasn't exactly the wisest of men. Uh, in fact, in Hebrew, his, his name, Nabul, literally means fool. Um, if I say, you are a Nabul, I'm saying you are a fool. Uh, however, uh, a bit like your vicar, Nabul, if he ever did one wise thing, it was that he married well. Um, and in contrast to her husband, Nabul's wife, Abigail, uh, also had a great reputation, a bit like my wife. Uh, she, she was a beautiful young woman, and she was famous for her wisdom and for her discerning ways. A bit like Rowan. Anyway, so David is in the wilderness of Paran. And I, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he's there for, but uh, evidently, uh, once again, it, it was spring. So, so the, the land's greening up. And uh, the other thing that spring means in the wilderness is that it's shearing season. It's time to shear the, sit, the sheep. And much, much like in small pastoral towns in Australia, uh, shearing time is busy. Um, there's a lot of work to do, and the whole community is involved. Uh, but particularly in the ancient world, it's also a time of celebration. Because um, think about it. If you've got a large team of shearers 
who have got days and days of work and you're out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, you know, how do you feed them? Um, you know, there's no Uber Eats. You, you slaughter some of the herd. Um, and in the ancient world, that's a real treat because, you know, there's no refrigeration, there's no industrial farming, there's no supermarkets, so, so you don't eat meat every day. And um, meat is a real treat. And so whilst you're shearing and the whole community's gathered, you know, it's hard work during the day, but every night, you know, it's, it's barbecue lamb in the evening under the stars around, around the campfire. It, it's great. And so, so shearing season is kind of a time when the community comes together and there's festivity and there's generosity, particularly when all the hard work is done. And so it happened that David got word that Nabal and his shearing team was camped nearby and they were shearing his flock. And so David sent some messages over to Nabal. And so some guys from David turned up at the, uh, at the camp and, you know, Nabal, well, he couldn't be bothered seeing them straight away. Um, you know, he's busy overseeing the work of shearing his sheep. So, so he kept them waiting all day. Then eventually he saw them. And he just looked at them and said, what do you guys want? Our master David sends his greetings to our friend Nabal. I've heard that you are shearing. May God grant you a great harvest. For months, as you no doubt know, I, I and my men have been protecting uh, your shepherds. Therefore, let, let me and my men find favor with you, my Lord, in your eyes. Please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David, that we might join in your festivities. You know, it's a, it's a reasonable request. Um, you know, David's asking to be included in the community festivities of the shearing. And after all, he's been watching out for them and the other pastoralists in the local district for, for months, you know, free of charge. And, and really, it's, it's a good invitation for this Nabal, who's a, you know, the equivalent of a rich local landlord. Uh, you know, he, he can cultivate a strategic friendship with David. You know, I mean, David at this point is effectively the local warlord. And, you know, in the future, he very well may be king. That's, that's the kind of friend you want to have, right? But a smirk probably came across Nabal's face. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my meat that I have prepared for my shearers and give it to some men from whoever, wherever you, know, you fools crawled out of? Nabal turned his back and walked off. This was reported to David, David, the local warlord. He was furious. He was the rightful king of Israel. You know, how dare this little man so brazenly snub him? He grabbed his sword. He shouted to his men, This fool of a man has repaid me evil for good. God help me if by morning I leave so much as one of his men alive. One of David's lieutenants took him aside and whispered, David, um, maybe we should sleep on this. You know, remember the proverb, fools show their anger at once, but the prudent 
overlook an insult. David just pushed him away, shouting, Every man strap on his sword. Meanwhile, uh, back at Nabal's camp, uh, Abigail, Nabal's beautiful and wise wife, uh, she was overseeing the preparations for that night's dinner. And one of the shepherds ran into a tent and said, Abigail, David sent messages to our master in the wilderness and he, he insulted them. You know, David has a small army uh, and no one can speak any sense to Nabal. You know, you know what he's like. Abigail, you've got to move quick. Do something. And so quickly, Abigail took all the bread and the wine that she had at hand and uh, raisins and cakes and five sheep that were already butchered, prepared for that night's dinner. And she put them on donkeys and she told her servants, take these quick to David and I'll follow along when I can. So David, with 400 armed soldiers at his back, was now about a mile away from the bull's camp uh, when he came upon Abigail's servants and, and the donkeys. And seeing them, he snarled to nobody in particular, too little, too late, the bull. Everyone, keep marching. Some of the men had reservations. You, know, you can imagine that there was muttering, at least in some of the troops. You know, this, this Nabul, he's a jerk, but, but this is foolishness. This reminds me of Saul, like, like the time he murdered that entire town of Nob, just because, just because he felt insulted when, when the priests helped us. You know. What are we doing here? But most, the vast majority of David's men were just as angry as he were. And they gave up a war cry and they all marched on. Getting closer to the camp. Five minutes later, in the distance, David saw a lone figure riding towards them. Abigail. When Abigail drew near to the war band, she jumped down from her donkey and fell face down before David. David was stunned when, she saw, when he saw that it was a young woman before him. And he called a halt. But with cold fury in his eyes, he said, Woman, get out of our way. Imagine. Imagine the scene. It's extraordinary. You know, Abigail, alone, on her knees, before 400 armed warriors, you know, veterans of all David's campaigns. And these, these guys that she's on her knees before are so full of pride and anger that they're literal minutes and literal meters away from slaughtering a camp of dozen, dozens of civilians. Abigail pleaded, My Lord David, please listen. David was impressed uh, by her bravery, also by her beauty. But he still stared at her in angry, angry silence with his hand on his sword. On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Don't regard the worthless husband of mine, Nabul, and his foolish insult. Please let my gift be given to your young men to feast with. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For my Lord, God has chosen you as king. 
He fights your battles. His hand, not yours, will bring vengeance on your enemies. All Israel has heard and give thanks to God for how he gave you victory against that Philistine giant, Goliath. Remember, you slew him with just a sling in your hand. And God himself will throw out all your enemies just like a stone from your sling. David, please don't be like my fool of a husband. Listen to wisdom. It restrains foolishness and it always brings blessing. And then when God finally appoints you as prince of Israel, you will have no grief or pangs of conscience for having shed the blood of your own people without cause. David stared at the beautiful woman for a long time and pondered her words. Uh, David, like you, like me, just another fallen, sinful human being. He has plenty of faults. But one of his virtues, one of the reasons I think God chose him as king, was that he was a good listener. Uh, he'd listened to wise advice in the past, you know, from Samuel, uh, from Abiathar, from Jonathan. And now, even now, he listened to Abigail. He weighed up her words. He heard her wisdom. She was right. He was rushing into folly, into into something that would be a tragic mistake that he'd regret for the rest of his life. And so he took a deep breath. And now smiling, he said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your wisdom and blessed be you who have kept me this day from foolishness and from spilling blood. Young woman, I will obey your voice. I will grant your petition. Thank you for your gifts and your food. Go. Peace be with you. Peace be upon your house. And that afternoon, while David was watching the sun set, smelling the lambs cook, enjoying the wine. I imagine that he was pretty glad that he listened to the wisdom of Abigail. And I imagine that he gave thanks to God for her and for using her and using her wisdom to restrain his foolishness and bring blessing. About the same time, Abigail returned home. And Nabal was holding a feast, a bigger one than usual. He kind of set himself up like a little king. And, of course, he didn't wait for her. He didn't know where she was. (laughs) They didn't wait. And, you know, he was utterly oblivious to how close to death he had come that day. And Nabal was drunk, Um, very, very drunk, even for him. And Abigail probably just rolled her eyes and sighed and went to bed early. She probably did that sort of thing a lot. The next morning, uh, she found him half passed out in his tent. Nabul, do you have any idea what happened yesterday? Your foolish stunt almost got us all killed. And she told him what happened with David. 
And as soon as she finished her story, the bull grabbed his chest and he had a massive heart attack. And he never left that tent again. And in fact, 10 days later, he died. When David heard, he prayed, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept me back from wrongdoing. And David sent messages to Abigail, saying, Abigail, come, marry me, be my wife. And Abigail said, yes. <laughs> and they got married. Uh, and I imagine that over the years, you know, having such a wise wife as Abigail at his side would have been a great blessing to David, particularly when he was king of Israel. God has woven into the very fabric of his universe wisdom. And wisdom speaks to us, so to speak. Uh, wisdom speaks in many ways. Uh, often it speaks to us through our conscience. Uh, wisdom often speaks through experience and, and the wisdom of years. Uh, wisdom speaks through the counsel of friends, particularly Christian friends. Uh, wisdom often resounds clearly in, in God's word, the Bible. The Bible is full of wisdom about how to walk this life well in God's creation. And sometimes in his kindness, God might send you an Abigail, you know, maybe in the form of a person offering advice or a warning, uh, maybe in the form of a situation, you know, something that's just come along and completely derailed your plans and makes you stop and think. But the moral of the story is that when wisdom speaks, however it speaks, listen. Listen to wisdom because wisdom restrains foolishness and it always brings blessing. But on the other hand, um, if you think about the implications of this story with Nabal, and indeed if you think about your own life, it's a little bit depressing I think, because even King David, you know, one of the great heroes of the faith, you know, in some churches, like, you know, our friends down the road at St. David's, Moorabbin, you know, they have, he's, he's a literal stained glass saint. He's King David. Uh, but even him, someone who's marked for his wisdom, uh, you know, even, even him, you know, to keep him from his folly, God has to supernaturally interact and, like, pull him back at the last minute. And actually, next Sunday, come along and we'll, we'll see when we finish the story of 1 Samuel that, you'll, that David's jumping into folly once again. And if you've read the book of 2 Samuel, well, then I won't spoil it for you, but you'll know that the whole book is marked by David's folly and the consequences for him and the whole nation because of what he does. So if David is always mixed up in foolishness, you know, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for anyone? Well, there was one man who did consistently always listen and act upon the wisdom of God. And that, of course, was King David's great-great-great-great-grandson, King Jesus. Uh, indeed, as it says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus himself 
became to us, the church, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Or in other words, Jesus is the wisdom of God come to us fools to actually make us wise, you know, able to walk well in God's world and God's creation. You could think of him a bit like as our perfect, immortal, eternal Abigail. You know, the one who falls on his knees before God for us, us fools. You know, praying to God on our behalf. Let the guilt fall on me alone. And listening to Jesus restrains foolishness and brings wisdom. You know, Jesus, listening to him, the one who is the very wisdom of God. When you listen to him, your folly is restrained. You know, in following Jesus and listening to his teaching and looking at his example, we learn how to actually walk well, walk with wisdom in this world. And better yet, not only is your folly restrained, you know, you get a little bit wiser day by day as you mature as a Christian and you stop sinning so much and you, you walk with wisdom. That happens, that's good. But better yet, your folly, which has, I mean, how, much, how many times have we stopped up because we're fools, you know? And, and the, the spiritual consequences of that is terrible, but our folly is atoned for by Jesus. You know, on, on the cross, you know, the wisdom of God dealt with your sin, dealt with your foolishness. And by following Jesus, that's, that's the path to blessing. You know, Jesus, the very wisdom of God, in, in learning to be like him, in being mentored, discipled by him, we receive blessing. Uh, now, today, for the rest of our lives on earth, as we become wiser, but more so, we receive blessing eternally, you know, as we will live forever with the wisdom of God in his eternal kingdom. So friends, the real moral of this story is listen to Jesus, the wisdom of God. Because as you listen to him, foolishness is restrained and blessing always comes.